Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We are back. We My are name back. is Josh Norris here with another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Is your name still John Daigle? My John name, Daigle? as far as I can tell, is still John Daigle. Yeah. We rescued you from the cave. <laughs> the well we had to record over. What's funny is that last podcast, in case no one knows what we're talking about, that's just my apartment. That's my everyday living situation. Okay. It's just, again, when I moved here, nothing has been set up yet. So it's. There's just it's hollow, it's empty, and it's a loft, so the sound just kind of bounces around to every wall. You're a bit of an overachiever, so I could see you investing in a bunch of like those sponges to put on the wall that like soundproof and make it more acoustically pleasant. I've been looking into things, uh-huh. yes. Or art that combines that. I mean, I could totally see you. Art will happen in this that. off season, but also how about just some furniture, man? How do, how about just being an adult and buy furniture? I think this also Except means that we, we can also just never take a vacation ever again. Was that a vacation? It was for me. Oh, okay. I got to go home down to Charlotte, North Carolina. It was like oh, 60, 65 degrees. Eat oh, that's some nice. Dang good barbecue. Play some oh, tennis. Oh, I miss barbecue. I feel ref- I'm smiling. I mean, that never smiling. happens. You I'm smiling. smiling. I feel refreshed as well. Good. Well, didn't get to go home really, but still bounced around. Uh, broke the plant based diet for a few days. <laughs> of course you did. Because when you're walking home at three in the morning and New York is just screaming pizza at you, then you kind of have to stop and grab some slices. Lasted Did- a month and a week. A month and a week. And it's now been a full week since. So that's okay. Broken a few <laughs> nights, but still uh, feeling great. Well, good. I'm glad you're here, Daigle. I'm glad you are it's here. great for you to be here. No Ian Harditz. Uh, he's still having fun. You know, he's young. He can have fun. He's we can't. We're, we're here. We're old and tired. Uh, and he's going to yell when he hears that. We are recording this episode on New Year's Eve. It's around 1.50 p.m. Eastern mm-hmm. on New Year's Eve. The podcast is going up on New Year's Day. So if anything that we say in this podcast is wrong, it's not our fault. It's the world's fault for putting out the news after us. But by the time you're listening to this, my top 50 for playoff-only fantasy leagues will be up at Roto World. So check that out. I also want to say that we will be back later this week to preview the first round of playoff matchups. Ian Hardis will be here for that one. That one will come out Thursday slash Friday. So be on the lookout for that one. Today, though, is different. We've had 20 teams in their 2019 seasons. They're done. Mm -hmm. They're not in the playoffs. So we thought... The best way to handle that is to go through and discuss every single one of those 20 teams. Now, here's how we divided it up, okay? I took the NFC, 
you took the AFC. What you, emailed, we're gonna, you emailed me, Daigle has AFC, yes. Well, I, I kind of take no, control fine, of this every okay. once in a while. And so how we're going to handle this is that we're going to say one good thing and one bad thing. You know, the yin and the yang. And we'll banter about it a Of each bit. team. But what we were challenged by producer Chris told. is... yes. Told is probably the best way Emailed. of putting it. Is that each team can only have two minutes. Yeah. So we're going to be keeping a two-minute clock for each team as well. Be Cut concise yes. for once. Yes. We're going to use as much data as possible before uh-huh. getting kicked out. But yes, it might be a little more banter. But it's okay. It's New Year's. Everyone, the season's over with now. Playoffs, teams that matter are ahead of us. So this is okay. So we're going to go division by division, starting off the AFC East, and I go the NFC East, so on and so forth. Again, a good thing and a bad thing. You think we can do this? I think we can do this. Let's make it an annual thing if it goes well. Yeah, of course. Okay. Kick us off with the AFC East and the New York Jets. Uh, the New York Jets, for me, the one good thing I'm taking away is the rapport Sam Darnold had with, had with Jameson Crowder. And now they get to grow together. Because remember, not only is Robbie Anderson likely leaving Adam Gase behind him and the Jets in free agency as he's rumored to get 13 to $15 million per year, but Jameson Crowder also now uh, 107 targets, which was 25 more than the next closest receiver from Sam Darnold in particular. Mm. And what we probably consider a down year, right? It, this off Offense was not as good as we expected, depending what you expected from Adam Gase offense. But a down year filled with, you know, Darnold battled mono at the beginning of the season, um, terrible offensive line, uh, running back injuries throughout. But yes, I, I think the just the fact that Jameson Crowder, we knew, show up, showed up for all offseason activities. He showed up for all of training camp. Remember, on that first drive, the very first drive of their first preseason game, Darnold threw five passes, right. four targets with the Jameson Crowder. I'm- and they've built on that since. I'm a little surprised that you're so positive about Darnold here because I don't know if he took that big Crowder. of a step forward. So mainly Crowder than Darnold. Yeah. But the point of that being how much do you want to make a slot receiver the focal point of your offense moving forward? That's very true. So that but it's also Adam me. Gase. All right, let's go to the bad side. Uh, oh, the bad side for me would be Adam Gase as we pivot off. Because, yes, how do you want to make a slot receiver the pivotal part of your offense? No, but now you have – just terrible, which we've known all along, terrible personal skills from Gase. And it happened literally on Black Monday uh, where he was asked about Le'Veon Bell, was told you have to ask GM Joe Douglas about that, and then Bell tweeted afterwards the office meme. And anytime a player tweets office memes at their own coaches, it's likely not a good sign. So I would say Adam Gase is the, the disaster for this franchise moving forward. Uh, one, I've only seen about two episodes of The Office in my lifetime. That is a so shame and hurts Those my heart. don't really connect with me. Um, it's also a situation where I don't know why Adam Gase is still a member of the Jets organization other than, you know, the owner now, the person in charge right now, uh, believes in him and Chris Johnson. Mm-hmm. And so he might not be the head coach in 2021 and would be surprising if he is because I don't know who he's elevated. Plus, he's just pissed some people off. He's pissed Jamal Adams off. Yep. He's pissed C.J. Mosley off. Le'Veon Bell, same situation. I At the very least, with how much the Jets went through this year, how it was imperfect despite our optimism heading into the season, um, I think it's safe to say that Adam Gase didn't really elevate anyone on this team. And that's a major concern. But now he gets a full offseason with Joe Douglas working with him, hopefully. And also recall, Darnold's best stretch in that span was against those bad teams, Dolphins, Giants, Bengals. So really, like, as you mentioned, did Darnold really progress that much this no, year? No, yeah. he didn't. Uh, next team, the Miami Dolphins. And by the way, Daigle, you spoke about 80% during that first team, so let's tighten Sorry. it up a little bit. Okay, tighten it up a little bit. Got it. <laughs> 
Uh, well, then let's keep it easy. How about fifth-year breakout Devontae Parker? Love it. Who this team can build on. Even as the Dolphins hired Chan Gailey now on Tuesday as we speak, uh, they st- remember, Chan Gailey uses three wide sets heavily. So they can build on Devontae Parker. They can build on Albert Wilson. And, of course, Preston Williams, who broke out before his knee injury. Surprised you didn't mention Patrick Laird with how much run he got in this podcast as the season went along. It was like three shows. Look, the, the major positive for the Dolphins is Brian Flores. Because this was Coaching a— was my other one. Yeah, this was a Miami Dolphins front office that were making roster decisions looking towards the future. Yet, despite all that— the Dolphins still were able to win five games mm-hmm. and close it out with a win over one of the best defenses we've seen this year and Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. So having a coach that instills that type of mentality, identity, makes players, unlike Adam Gase, play above their potential and above their expectation, I think the sky's the limit for what Brian Flores can do with this team that has more talent, and hopefully they bring him that in 2020. As much improvement was made on the defensive trenches and getting Christian Wilkins in the draft, their offensive line remains an absolute disaster and something that cannot be improved within one draft or one free agency period. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was under pressure still only behind Darnold, Daniel Jones, and Russell Wilson. That offensive line is atrocious. It's amazing the coaching job they did giving the limitations in protection. I agree. Totally agree. Amazing the job Ryan Patrick did. Yep, and I mean the offensive line, like we mentioned, you get rid of Laramie Tunsil for draft picks. Um, He's he was easily their best offensive lineman. I would say the defensive line is also a question as well, like who's going to bring consistent disruption. But more than anything, a roster and a team hinges on quarterback play. Did this five-win team do enough to take them out of a potential franchise quarterback as we go along? It's very. Difficult to ask that question on December 31st, January 1st, whenever you are listening mm-hmm. to this podcast. But it, it, I think it is a concern because with all the roster moves, is looking towards the future. And I know Ryan Fitzpatrick played above expectation yeah. this year, but is that maybe to their detriment as we move a year well, or two Speaking from now? on the offensive line, like that's not what you want in place whenever you bring a rookie franchise totally. signal caller behind it. Totally. All right, let's move on over to the NFC East. I will start off. With the Dallas Cowboys, who finished the season 8-8. Eight and eight. The good is easily Dak Prescott. He took a massive step forward this year. And it's certainly fair to say that no matter what grade you look at, how you watch it, Dak Prescott was a top-10 quarterback in the NFL this year. 4,900 passing yards this year, over 1,000 more than any other season he's had in his past. 30 touchdowns in the air, 11 interceptions, along with three rushing touchdowns. Um, having that player who, in previous years, was connected to his offensive line, was connected to Ezekiel Elliott, right? I think, in many ways, Dak took a step forward by himself, and that can only help this team moving forward. It's interesting when you think about Troy Aikman's comments, though, from Sunday as the team was blowing out Washington for no reason whatsoever. It didn't matter at all. Uh, because he did mention, and it was something that you hear in random conversation, like we're all told information behind the scenes, right? And we don't know what to pass along on the podcast or the show. And Troitman just started like spitting in a blowout with uh, with uh, Joe Buck. And he said that he, he mentioned about Dak Prescott's anger when Jerry mm. came out in Tony Romo's last year and said 
mentioned that Romo going back, like that would be a miracle, Romo coming back from injury, and that's the story the team should tell. He mentioned Dak being frustrated about that. That seems like something he shouldn't have said whenever the team has negotiations in front of them. And I believe that the Cowboys organization thinks they have control whenever Dak like literally has the ball in his own court entirely. He does, and that shifts me over to the bad side of this because Ezekiel Elliott is the one under contract on this offense. It's not Dak Prescott. It's not Amari Cooper. It's not other players on this team like Byron Jones. I truly think that windows to win in the NFL are real. And when you can hit a point for a team in a year where everything clicks personnel-wise and contract-wise when you have more talent than really a team should, and I think the Cowboys are kind of like that this year, um, that is your window to win. And it gets more difficult when you have to pay certain people and then refill the, the talent you have, to, yeah. you have to let go. And the Cowboys just finished a season where they should have won. Because, again, Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, Randall Cobb, Malik Collins, Christian Covington, Robert Quinn, Byron Jones, Jeff Heath, all free agents this offseason. You cannot keep everyone. And plus, as we sit here right now, Jason Garrett has not been told he is not the head coach of the Cowboys. And so just that mentality the Cowboys still have right now may be the thing that keeps them from reaching their potential. Jerry Jones is of the belief this is a luxurious job, and it's the opposite. Uh, Your coordinators are handed to you. You don't have a choice. You are handed... uh, relentless sources, or not relentless, what's the word I'm like, unlimited so- resources, but for the most part, yeah, it's like, why do you want to be tied to a $100 million running back yeah. who you're forced to feed the ball to whenever you're about to give a, a, a franchise cornerstone another over $130 million, whatever Dak's going to make? We're over the two minutes, but can you give, do you know this, the franchise tag and the transition tag at in one offseason? I'm not I, sure. I believe you can. And it wouldn't be shocking at all if the Cowboys give Dak the franchise tag and Amari the transition tag. Um, because they have to keep both. By the way, Amari's last eight games. I know. Like, not good. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. And Michael Gallup's That's another second, podcast as a whole. Michael, year, Michael Gallup's second year oh, job was, was huge. Just his second year. New York Giants finished 4-12. and 12. You might disagree with this, but I think the good, a lot of the good is Daniel Jones. Um, I think he showed a lot as a rookie quarterback. He showed playmaking. And a lot of people criticize the Giants for taking him, what, sixth overall, because he had this kind of up-and-down draft process, up-and-down time at Duke during his career. Mm -hmm. But what Daniel Jones did show is the ability to forget a lot of the mistakes that he made in an NFL game. So he might start off with a fumble, a fumble six, a pick six, an interception. Then the very next drive, make some really difficult throws, tight window throws, down-the-field throws. And just those moments of, of... you know, really good, high-quality play is almost all I want to take from a rookie-year quarterback that he can look like a true number-one quarterback for an NFL team, but then hopefully he can eliminate those mistakes. And I'm not sure if he has shown that ability yet, a la Jameis Winston. I agree, but as you said, rookie quarterback, I think he showed enough to where you're at least confident moving forward that you have something to work with, when we even questioned that initially. Yeah. 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 18 fumbles is the part they have to take yeah, away. That's, that's 38 sacks, and a lot of those were on Daniel Jones. You know, thinking a big play has to be made every single time, and that was all just in 12 start, starts uh, quickly. Darius Slayton, big jump from him. Big rookie Huge. season from someone who wasn't even a top three round draft pick. All right, the bad. Who are the defensive difference makers for the Giants? And I don't know if Dave Gettleman has enough of a forward-thinking approach on the day that he said he hired uh, four computer folk to his front office. Amazing. Um, Incredible. By the way, that all stems from 
before drafting or after drafting Saquon Barkley, you know, him mocking people who think that analytics should be used in team building, which I am absolutely one. Well, a Dave Gettleman-led team has been 9-23 and since then. And I'm not sure if weaknesses can turn into strengths, and they have to for someone like Dave Gettleman to turn this Giants team around. His strengths are must-listen and must-see press conferences, and that's about as far as it goes. And he's panicked in times in the past when he really needs to fix a position. He did that with wide receivers in Carolina. He did that with cornerbacks. Well, how do you and, think it's going to fare when he has to find like a new, a, new, a new head coach now? And offensive line that he's picked up during his time with the Giants hasn't exactly worked out completely. And again, defensive difference makers is really critical for them. Mm-hmm. All right, let's close out the NFC East with the Washington Redskins, 3-13. and 13. Uh, The good, this was an easy one, but it might be the only one. And it's Terry McLaurin. Um, You know, another guy who wasn't, I believe, a top two round selection. Terry McLaurin had a fantastic rookie season. 14 games, 93 targets, 58 receptions, 919 yards, seven touchdowns. That's basically 16 yards per catch. Um, He was graded as PFF's number seven overall wide receiver this year. And he did that with Case Keenum. And he did that with Dwayne Haskins. Major positives for Terry McLaurin moving into his second year. Uh, totally agree. I, I don't know what more you can truly say about Terry McLaurin. Like the fact he became one of the, in my mind, elite wide receivers along with AJ Brown uh, in the entire league in just his rookie year from Case Keenum and as you mentioned, Dwayne Haskins as well. Like just, just so incredibly impressive. Yep, and he was a third round selection. Obviously, teammates with Dwayne Haskins. Uh, the negative here, the same mistakes just keep happening with Washington, um, and I. This is the premier franchise that shows you it's all working from the top down, right? Mm-hmm. Dan Snyder is the consistent. He, he's the commonality between everything. And sure, they got rid of Bruce, Bruce Allen. Allen. So, Which is big. It is. But I wonder if how much of a change that can be. And right now it hasn't officially been happening. It happened yet. But Ron Rivera is going to be the hire for Washington. Mm-hmm. And if there is one thing that Ron Rivera brings to an NFL team, it's an identity. It's a kind of belief. It's self-confidence. And that's great. But that's not a play caller. You know, that's not someone who schemes a great defense. He did not do that in the past year and a half in Carolina. But bringing a culture, if there's any team that needs one right now in the NFL, it's the Washington Redskins. So at the very least, Ron Rivera can do that. Yes. Uh, it's... <laughs> I've I've gone back and forth because I've been on news hard the past two days. We all have because the coaching change has been insane. And I've gone back and forth with what that organization is going to do moving forward. And to be honest, like it still has Snyder's fingerprints on it, which is why I struggle with the idea. But man, getting rid of Bruce Allen, that's like one of the biggest moves of the offseason. Like that's huge. And not just for them, like the entire league. No, it is. I, I just wonder how much can truly happen and truly change. And if Dan Snyder is still the owner, which he is. And also, isn't Ron Rivera, like, this is good for Washington, but isn't Ron Rivera just kind of like the beacon of mediocrity? Like, he's very good, I understand, a very well-respected veteran. He's very very good at what he does. But, like, yeah. as a well, coach. But it's identity and culture. Like, right. that, that's different than that's fair. scripting a defense, scheming a defense, or if you're the offensive side, being a great play caller. He's really none of those things. In fact, his defense in Carolina tremendously fell off when Sean McDermott left to go be the head coach with the Buffalo Bills. Um but, again, I think to start off somewhere with just a culture and identity, he can fix that. And getting rid Washington. of Bruce Allen, like, that was so positive for them. AFC West Eagle. All right, let's Denver start. Broncos. Well, yeah, let's start with the Denver Broncos here. And we know who we're going to. Like, the positive is Cortland Sutton's second-year breakout because I, 
we mentioned uh, rookies breaking out, but, geez, among second-year breakouts, Cortland Sutland, uh, 1,100 yards, six touchdowns from Joe Flacco. Yep. Something called Brandon Allen, who we actually saw play football this year, start football games this year, and then Drew Locke in his final five games, just to buck all of that under center and still be absolutely dominant in every game was one of the most fun things to watch all year. He was a player coming out of SMU that had, like, the tools, right? And you hoped if all the tools came together, they would morph into and combine into a true number one wide receiver across the NFL. And they have. And it happened quickly. It happened Mm -hmm. in the second year. So having a, you know, focal point of a passing game already in place with Drew Locke heading into his second year is a major positive the Broncos can take away. But... The bad, if you want to spin it around, is Drew Locke. And really? it's, not, it's not that he's bad. Don't get me wrong. Uh, one, it's hard to find negatives for the Broncos. So let's just spitball here. And two, it's the fact that Elway came out and said, well, yeah, of course he's a starter. I understand he's a starter. The question is, it doesn't sound like they're going to do anything behind him. And I think there should be at least a competent veteran backup behind him because he went 4-1, and one, yes, but one that's QB wins, I don't care about. Yeah. Uh, he, he was impressive, but I don't think we learned anything. I think it's the same analysis from when he came out of college, which big arm, but terrible decision-making, but also fun as hell to watch. Same exact thing we saw in those last five games. His really only bad performance being the snow game against the Chiefs, which, come on, he wasn't going to do much in that one anyways. And great sideline rapper. I'm sure you <laughs> saw that video side. as well. He's fun. He's fun to watch. <laughs> He's, I mean, that song came out... When I was in college, yeah. I think, or high school. So, like, Drew Locke doing that, who's almost, like, 10 years younger than me, which is wild to think about. Um, that was fun. I, that was cool to see. I, I say that, and I, I don't want to make people upset here. I say that as a negative just because, like, we have John Elway's resume of evaluating quarterbacks, and he's already standing behind one just on five games, like, as the true franchise cornerstone. So I just want to be careful here. That's it. Let's move on over to the Oakland Raiders. Uh, they nailed their young offensive core in the draft Mm. and beyond that. They got Darren Waller right. They talked him up all offseason long, and since when does offseason coach speak hype actually translate to fantasy production, at least that immensely? And Darren Waller was a top-five tight end. Josh Jacobs, we knew he was going there. All the tea leaves read that John Gruden loved him, and they nailed him with possibly rookie of the year. Hunter Renfro came out of nowhere as a dominant slot, not dominant, but reliable slot receiver. And, of course, Foster Moreau, a uh, a red zone and goal line presence across from Darren Waller. Not to mention one of the most one of the best offensive lines in the league that they had to go out and make better in free agency. But the Young Guts fits the core as a whole. They nailed it. To continue the good, Tom Cable. Uh, I mean, Tom Cable nowhere. got a lot of slack and deservedly for his time in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And his fingerprints are on a lot of these moves in Oakland. I mean, Colton, Colton Miller the year before, Richie Incognito obviously coming in as a free agent. Um, it's a Trent Brown, obviously, that signing. That offensive line, when they were playing good football, was among the best in the NFL. So I think that if they can continue to stay healthy and keep that unit um, for 2020, yeah. then that bodes well for a functional offense. Completely agree. Uh, my bad, though, would be the other side of the ball because their defense is still atrocious. Uh, in my opinion, they just whiffed on the draft completely. We knew number four overall was too early for Cleveland Farrell to begin with, right? 
furl. Furl. Isn't Cleveland, that a weird Cleveland way to pronounce furl. it, though? It's yeah, just well, furl. That's why I mispronounced it. Uh, among everything else I mispronounced. But we knew that was far too early. Yep. Having said that, he was basically a no-show. Jonathan Abram, we knew was going to be good, and he was while he was out there. Also, kind of a space cadet. Kind of a, <laughs> just kind of a football player that is fair mentality. And uh, some bonehead decisions, but a hard hitter. We knew John Gruden would love him. Beyond that, though, once again, you messed up the furl, the furl pick. And then you have Trayvon Mullen, Max Crosby, who stacked two good games, but it was only two good games. And then uh, Isaiah Johnson and Quentin Bell. That rounded out their defensive draft, and more or less they whiffed on all. Mom, you're being too harsh on Max okay, Crosby. That's fine. I'm a big fan of Max Crosby. But I think it shows you that at one point in the season, this Raiders draft class was just getting a ton of love. And I think in points, it's fair. And we mentioned the positive points from it. But also, a lot of it was mentioned because of the snaps being played. Okay, they're a bad team. So a lot of these new players had to play snaps. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that they were playing outstanding football. This is also a team that brought freaking Vontez Perfect back into the league. That's true. You know? Yeah. So let's not do that Defense anymore. is a whole. Defense is a whole, yes. They, they have a long way to go. Mike Mayick still has a long way to go with this Raiders team. And I do, I still, honorable mention bad, like, what do we do with Derek Carr? Because they're not bringing him to Vegas. I thought we were going to go two minutes without Derek Carr mentioned. They're, they're not bringing him to Vegas. There's no way. You can't start yeah. a whole franchise with him. No, with how much John Gruden loves players on other teams, it would be surprising James for... Winston. It would be surprising for him to focus and carry Derek Carr with him. All right, moving on the Chargers. Uh, it's, this is an easy one. It's Austin Eckler, uh, restricted free agent. So the Chargers will actually get to match his contract. And I shouldn't put anything past the Chargers, but it would be absolutely insane if they did not. 27 fantasy points per game as the RB1 overall in the first four games without Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon's return obviously bumbled that situation entirely. Eckler dropped down to 16.8 over his last 12 starts to end the year, or last 12 games, I should say. But overall, they saw and we saw enough out of Eckler that his his efficiency can be sustainable because hmm. he's just that good of a pass-catching back as well. Issue, Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler are both free agents. How do yes. you How do you handle giving out free agent contracts, second contracts to running backs who, I, I mean – I believe in running backs more than a lot of people on our side of the not, not NFL. Me, so yeah. Yes. Um, but can you give a contract to Austin Eckler, and can you give a contract to someone like Melvin Gordon? Well, let's go to the bad, because the bad is there are so many move, moving pieces, and the Chargers has not, have not earned our trust to believe they can make the right choices when it comes down to these. Because it's not only Melvin Gordon who's entering free agency, who they did offer $10 million a year to, but remember, he turned it down and then returned. Right. Uh, it's not only Austin Eckler, but also Phillip Rivers and Hunter Henry are free agents now as well. And you're going into a new stadium. Yeah. So what do you what do you even do? Like in my mind, I kind of think James Winston is the answer because you have Keenan Allen and Mike That's Williams. That's three teams now we have James Winston attached to. But Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, like if you're going to make a splash in a new stadium, that's kind of the guy's one-year stopgap you want to have. Okay, well, we can't just say Jameis Winston for every team that needs a quarterback. That's fair. So I have no idea in which direction the Chargers might go. I still think they're going to go with Marcus Mariota. Like, hope for a Ryan Danhill-esque post-hype performance that he gave Tennessee that maybe Marcus can do somewhere else. And I know that there was some attachment coming out of the draft with the Chargers and Marcus Mariota as well. But we're both... Agreeing no Philip Rivers next year, right? No, it just can't. I mean, I tweeted this, and I, I'm going to pull a Roto Pat here and, and reiterate a tweet that I put out. Well, Pat's brain is a tweet. So. Uh, what do you find at the end of the rainbow? It's a Philip Rivers interception. Because now he just does not know 
where these lofted downfield balls are going to end up anymore, where they used to have perfect placement. Correct. Now they're going straight to defensive backs. And just his style has completely fallen off a cliff, and that's completely concerning. I'm not even sure, like, where he might start in 2020. I, I have no idea. I've seen some mention the Colts, and that makes a little bit of sense that they do want to move on from Jacoby Brissett. Will, we'll will, he be start, will he be starting? I, uh, based on his performance this year, he should not. All right, moving on to the NFC West. Let's start off with... They lost to Angeles Rams, a team that went 9-7 and seven this year. It was kind of difficult, to be honest, to find a lot of good on this team. Obviously, you have Aaron Donald. That's an easy answer. Simple. Jalen Ramsey is on your team now. I'm not talking about the compensation because that's I'm using that as a different conversation. Right. And, you know, kind of taking the easy way out, way out here. But Jalen Ramsey being on your team is a boost no matter what because you have a premier player – on the interior disrupting in Aaron Donald. Now you have a premier player in the back half in Jalen Ramsey as well. They've had some really nice young pieces step up and what, Taylor Rapp and John Johnson mm-hmm. as well. Um, even some linebackers and Corey Littleton. But we always talk about stopping the pass and having Aaron Donald up front and Jalen Ramsey in the back can really, really help that team in 2020. That was but, my good. But, okay, yeah. I, I shouldn't say but then because I don't want to rebuttal with the bad. But, but like, remember, you do have to, as you mentioned, you do have to negotiate with Jalen Ramsey. And there are so many other contracts to negotiate around. Like, Jared Goff's contract hikes 20-plus million next year. He gets paid that much more next year. Todd Gurley is still there with arthritis. Like, what, what do you even do with those guys? Well, don't steal my bad because I think it's fair to wonder okay, yeah. that if the Rams' window to win is closed— because you have all of these good talents that now are going to get paid like top talents across the league. Jared Goff, when that money kicks in, he's going to be around quarterback five. Todd, Todd Gurley running back two. Brandon Cooks around wide receiver eight. The offensive line is not getting any younger. It's looking more and more feeble because for multiple years, two years, it set up a perfect situation to succeed for Jared Goff and this offense. And now you have Goff, who there is no quarterback in the league that has more drastic change in completion percentage than Goff from a clean pocket versus under pressure. And I don't think he's ever going to change that. And so now, and Todd Gurley looks like he can't move anymore. He can't run anymore. Right. So it's, it's really fair to wonder that if this iteration can even reach the point that we saw during the 2018-2019 season. I would say, though, it's great for Tyler Higby's dynasty value because... The more shaking these players you get and the worse your offensive line gets, the more you have to have an elite run blocker out there. And Tyler Higby wasn't just a pass-catching force. Like, remember, he is their best blocking tight end and a really good one at that. And you can't just move him back into the role that he had before where Gerald Everett was the pass-catcher, Jordan Reed-like player. And right. then that's Tyler Higby is close to the line. Of Tyler Higby nearly it. set like a, a league merging record with 500 yeah. yards. You, you can't put that special sauce back in the insane. bottle. You just can't do it. Arizona Cardinals finished 5-10-1. The, the good is Kyler Murray is the real deal. I mean, he was awesome. Yeah. He showed moments of being just a unique player, bordering on a rare talent at times. And there were plenty of moments. And again, this is all I really care about with these rookie quarterbacks because we've seen Hall of Famers just struggle completely during their first couple years. But Kyler completely elevated the pieces around him at times. Like I go back to that Atlanta Falcons game when, you know, his offensive line would give up immediate pressure and then Kyler would duck it, reset, fire down the field for 40 yards on a direct rope and it'd be a great completion. And he was throwing to receivers like Farrell Cooper, to Demir Bird, you know, 
this is already a player that you know we can build around for the next five years and feel really comfortable with it in Kyler Murray. Agree. And they are lucky that they are entering the draft, like one of the most wide receiver deep drafts in like over a decade. Like it is crazy how many good receivers are coming out. And Cliff has been a major boost as well. Like this is a team that dealt with a lot of running back injuries. You know, they gave David Johnson a contract fairly recently. Uh, You had Chase Edmonds, who looked good when he was there. Both those players go down. You make a trade for Kenyon Drake. And you have Cliff Kingsbury, despite this poor offensive line talent and even individually graded, but as a unit, their running game was fantastic. Same thing he did at Tech with poor offensive line play. He made it good. Uh, I would also quickly say, though, is that how many coaches do we see they have a contract to deal with and they just play the guy? Like, they mm. had David Johnson, and Cliff just, like, took him out. He's like, no, we have a better player. The bat is very worrisome, though, because you mentioned the draft coming up. I don't know if Steve Kime is the right person to put the right talent around Kyler Murray because – you know, Kyler can't just elevate everyone around him every single game. Right. It would really help him. And you saw it in watching their games and going back and watching the tape that if he had some equal talents around him, this could be a really, really special team. Here are a few first and second round picks by Kime since 2013. Jonathan Cooper, Kevin Mentor, Deion Buchanan, Troy Nicholas, Robert Incondice, uh, DJ Humphreys, Hassan Reddick, Josh Rosen. That, you know, top two round uh, picks, the draft is kind atrocious. of a crap shoot after that, yeah. right? It can be pretty random. You need to nail your first two round picks. And Steve Kime has not been able to do that consistently. And even in free agency has struggled mightily. So it's, it's concerning that he's the right person to help Cliff and help Kyler moving forward. Strictly uh, from a franchise perspective, I totally agree. Strictly for fantasy, though, I will say they did take a shot. Like they were willing to grab three receivers, uh, three or four, Hakeem Butler, uh, Andy Isabella, and Keyshawn Johnson. Keyshawn Johnson. So they were willing to grab three playmakers. I would imagine they're willing to run it back again this year. I agree. AFC North, Daigle, kick us off with the Pittsburgh Steelers who finished 8-8 eight and eight this year. The Steelers, the good is that their offense, for the most part, their key pieces are in place because I would think even they would say they got more of Deontay Johnson mm-hmm. than they believed they would in just his first year. Remember, they didn't steal him when the first team in some reps during offseason activities. But at the same time, like he had so many drops, he struggled learning the playbook, and he came out and he was arguably one of their more explosive players. And then also, James Washington's development and somewhat of a breakout, a guy who at least a tracks downfield penalties, which is a talent. Like, that's something that moves your offense along. Plus, once you get Juju healthy next year, I think there's a lot to work with in the Steelers' offense. Two things. One, the defense was fantastic this year. Yep. A top three or five unit in the NFL. The issue with that is we're not exactly sure how sticky that can be year to year because we've seen great defense, Jaguars, Bears, can mention a number of others who, you know, don't, didn't go from great defenses to bad defenses, but more likely they go from great defenses to above average. Correct. And that can be a major drop-off. Two, though, Daigle, I'm a little nervous about this offense because this was the first year without Antonio Brown and how consistent he has been on the field. Do we really know that this team can be good offensively without Antonio Brown on there? Because I think they're the only team in the NFL that did not score 30 points this season. I know they have the pieces in place. But that's why my bad is that can we really depend on Ben Roethlisberger, who's yeah. been injured basically every season now, the past half decade? Uh, and Mike Tomlin came out in his presser on Tuesday morning and said he's comfortable with Mason Rudolph as their backup, which means they're not going to bring in competition either. And if we can't depend on Ben Roethlisberger's health, which we never can, 
Like, why would you want to be comfortable with Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges behind him? Because we got that. And they those two basically threw the Steelers out of the playoffs. So it's it's just insanity to think that behind Rossberger, who's also an aging veteran who probably only has two years left in the league, to think that they're okay with young studs. Hmm. And besides, Ben Roethlisberger's coaching the Detroit Lions right now. Um, Fair. Hopefully you got that joke. All right, let's now go on. By the way, we should mention Minka Fitzpatrick, who came in just a few games into the season, uh, was traded for their first-round pick this year, and completely changed that defense. Hopefully he can perform at a similar level uh, next season as well. Dago, next up, the Cleveland Browns, 6-10 this year. Uh, Cleveland Browns, my good, I didn't even know it was my turn again, uh, my good would be Nick Chubb because they've, they found something in Nick Chubb. And remember, this is just his first full season. He was playing behind Carlos Hyde last yes, year. Yes, he was. It seems like forever ago, but he still nearly grabbed the rushing title if his coach, his former coach, I guess I should say, wouldn't have handed him only, I think it was, what, 13 carries in Week 17 with the rushing title, and that's all they had to play for. And they just let it fall out of their hands as Derrick Henry took it. But still, like I said, uh, nearly 1,500 yards, 1,494 this year, and was held back once Kareem Hunt returned against Buffalo in Week 10. And now, Kareem Hunt, remember, is hitting free agency. So Nick Chubb, if someone, like, cites in the offseason, well, remember Nick Chubb split touches or whatever. No, like Nick Chubb, a new coach, still a good offensive line, I would say. Uh, I want to bank on Nick Chubb next year in fantasy drafts. as like a second-round pick easily. The only other positive I might bring from this team is Joe Schobert's a very good football player. Mm-hmm. But I struggle to find any positives. It's just a lot of negatives. This year, that's why I reached for Nick Chubb. Yep. Yeah. So let's hit on some of those negatives, and I don't want to steal your thunder here. But basically, every player that we had high expectations for in an Odell Beckham, in a Miles Garrett, in a Larry Ogunjobi, I mean, I, David and Joku, I can go down the list. Did not hit value. Did not hit expectations. And then the players and the units that we were concerned about, namely the offensive line, played to our concerns. So now we know there's no head coach in place. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a positive, but he didn't get anyone right in this game and this team this season. And it's even more concerning that the quarterback took a major step back. The good news is, as we're sitting here, uh, John Dorsey just got relieved of duties. Did he really? Yes. So there is that positive to sprinkle in here. Uh, But again, as you said, the bad. So the football guy only lasted what? A season yeah. and a half? Yeah, that's about it. Imagine that. Uh, and Phil Yates tweeted this, but I thought it was it was interesting. Just the fact that the Browns added Odell Beckham, a superstar in the offseason, and still found a way to throw for 414 fewer yards and seven fewer passing touchdowns is just insanity. Insanity. Mm. So QBs are hard to evaluate. I think we still have enough to know, not to know, but to assume Baker Mayfield is really good. I really wonder what's going to happen now. I don't know. This John Dorsey know. situation, I mean, it kind of makes me wonder if, like, Josh McDaniels comes into this one. A guy who is going to be a head coach but obviously wants some personnel power control, yeah. as well, some control. Um, it's going to be a 180-degree turn. That's what we see in these situations. You go from someone who was buddy-buddy with, you know, the offense with Baker Mayfield and Freddie Kitchens in a short amount of time. Now they're going to want someone like a runner there. They're not going to get runner there, but someone who instills an identity, a culture is tough, is difficult. It's as you tweeted. It's always the opposite. It's always the opposite. Always. But more than anything, I am most concerned about Baker Mayfield yeah. because, you know, we talked about the offensive line. We talked about the weapons. The play calling was not good. But when all of those actually went well, when it was right, Baker still regressed. 
And that is a trend you have to demolish, eliminate if this team and if that quarterback can be one of the best 10 in the NFL. Dorsey out, Kitchens out. I think that's a terrific start. Because remember, that Browns team didn't cater, as Jarvis Landry said it best, uh, they didn't cater to players, they catered to plays. And that's Mm. already a negative. Close out the AFC North with the Cincinnati Bengals, who finished 2-14 and and have the number one pick in the 2020 draft. They do. And so my only takeaway, I think, is what we got out of Joe Mixon to close the year. And it wasn't just because they were trying to feed him the ball and go home. Uh, He was breaking tackles as well. And in his last eight games, a whole second half of the season, 22 carries, 102 yards a game, behind a terrible offensive line that was bottom three in contact behind the line line of scrimmage. Uh, Basically had nothing to work with and still excelled in just his third year in the league. Um, So I, I think they can build on that. And then I believe he's also a dynasty buy for fantasy because someone may be overlooking the Joe Burrow factor. And who knows what Joe Burrow will be in in the NFL. But just to get Joe Mixon with Joe Burrow next year, I think is is enticing. Hmm. I I truly wonder what type of situation he goes into other than Joe Burrow. I mean, other than with Joe Mixon. Mm -hmm. Because, and again, not to jump ahead here, offensive line talent. Not there. I mean, they lose oh, Jonah terrible. Williams, their first-round pick, before the season even starts. Uh, you have A.J. Green, who did not even play. Tyler Boyd's still a nice slot receiver. And then John Ross had his moment in week one, and then after that completely vanished. And then Zach Taylor, I don't know if we've really seen him be a Cliff Kingsbury type who you can point to obvious elements and say, yes, he did this. He elevated this. And I don't think we saw that from Zach Taylor in year one. I don't think we saw anything impressive from Zach Taylor, to be quite honest. Even uh, handling the media, like I don't think that was the answer. But he's coming back. I would imagine he's definitely coming back. What about the bad? I mean, there's a lot of bad. There's a lot of bad. Uh, I, I think their defense was still the worst part of this entire team, though. And what's more worrisome is that this was the same exact situation as last year. Uh, last in DVOA last year. And yet they only went into their offseason and added Preston Brown and B.W. Webb as their two like two biggest splashes on the defensive side of the ball. And we said this offseason it wouldn't matter. And guess what? It didn't matter at all. This is still an atrocious defense that can't tackle and can't cover. So, again, you cannot rebuild this in one offseason. Hmm. But they have to make a much more concerted effort to do so, whether it's through the draft or free agency, because it's a mess. And this team can't win again if they go forward like this. Yeah, it's a big mess. And I, I actually wonder... Unless, like, all the stars align, if the Bengals can ever be consistently good year to year. Because that really does start from their ownership. I mean, because that's not a forward-thinking team. It doesn't seem like they want to go the extra mile in terms of extra coaches or front office staff members. You know, it's one that it did align perfectly when Carson Palmer was there with Chad Johnson and and TJ Hushmanzada and Rudy Johnson Fun and like all season. those names right but we really have not seen it since nope. i don't know if this team can ever be one that is back to back afc north champions and to not even have that potential in the horizon is really troubling. But I'm not saying anything new. Like, that's what we've been able to say about the Bengals for a very, very long time. I, they're just a team running a treadmill of me- mediocrity. They're not yeah. going anywhere. They're running in place. They did this for, what, nine years, I think it was, with Andy Dalton? Like, they're just, that's what they are. That's why they're hoping Athens' own Joe Burrow comes and <laughs> answers all their problems. But like you said, those problems stem from the top down. Let's shift over to the NFC North, starting off with the Chicago Bears, an 8-8 eight and eight team. Uh, again, not a lot of good here. But let's go with Allen Robinson. 
I mean, Allen Robinson continues to show that he's one of the most underrated players across the NFL. Mm -hmm. In his past with Blake Bortles, he had a 1,400-yard season with 14 touchdowns. This past season, Mitch Trubisky, over 1,100 yards and seven touchdowns. Um, I wish, I have many wishes, beachfront property. One of them came true, and that's A.J. Brown getting about eight to ten targets a game, Mm -hmm. and we're going to see that more. And look what happened. Against Elmore, too. I wish that for one season... Allen Robinson played with a top 10 NFL quarterback. And he's just not going to get that right now with the Chicago Bears. But for us, for our fantasy purposes, he's still going to produce because he's that much of a talent. What would he do with a top 10 quarterback? Because he finished as the wide receiver eight in PPR leagues this year. Right. So, like, imagine him with an actual good quarterback. I recall the live draft we had in August, and I took Allen Robinson in the fourth round, and that team was atrocious, by the way, but Allen Robinson, <laughs> I was a Trubisky of that team. Uh, and then Pianowski got upset at me because he's like, yeah, like that's the sleeper that's not even a sleeper. Mm. And like we talked about him because he even said in the offseason program he's fully healthy. He was running routes with the team. He was great. Uh, so, yeah, now a full offseason of health returning. It will be with Mitchell Trubisky, as Ryan Pace claims, but – I still think, you know, you have to go back to Allen Robinson next year. Well, let's shift to that concern because right now, Ryan Pace suggested that Mitch Trubisky is locked in as a starting quarterback. Not suggested, like in 2020. It. Yeah, and maybe he's lying. Maybe. And we've seen GMs lie yeah. in the past, but I don't think he is because this is a player that Ryan Pace traded up one spot to get. Incorrectly. Incorrectly, ahead of Deshaun Watson, ahead of Patrick Mahomes. And, like, looking back, it's worse than it was probably at the time. Um, I don't even know if that's fair. Um, But he's going down with the sinking ship, I think, in Metro Trubisky. This is also a GM, though, that identifies talents that he wants and then doesn't really have an understanding of draft pick quantity and maybe even, like, the player acquisition process. Because he traded so much for Cleo Mack, and Cleo Mack was far more silent in 2019 than he was in 2018. Still a very good player, but far more silent. He traded up for Anthony Miller, who's a very good slot receiver, but you give a future draft pick for him. Then you trade up for David Montgomery, who broke a ton of tackles at Iowa State, couldn't break a tackle this season. <laughs> Not a single one. So these are all players he's identified. I want them, including Mitch Trubisky. I want them on my roster. And a lot of them aren't forming necessarily a core that you can really believe in and that has sustained success. And on top of all that, I think Matt Nagy is in his own head at the moment. Like this Eddie Pinheiro situation that happened this year was not great. Then you also had the double doink last year that he made into this big process this offseason. I don't know if he's like cut out. And I'm no NFL head coach. I don't get paid to do that. But it seemed like everything that he focused on this year didn't work out in a positive direction. And it seemed like they were almost masking it from everyone, from themselves. Uh, They're lying to themselves. Yeah, and perhaps that isn't the case, but everything we heard in press conferences when they come out the next day and they literally said, no, we're not talking about that because we're already moving on. Like, we only focus ahead. It just seems like they themselves are not recognizing their own mistakes and thus they are failing. Because remember, the only definition of failure is not learning from it. And they were just hiding it the entire time and and refusing to look at it the entire season. All right, Confucius. Uh, Detroit Lions, (laughs) 3, 12, and 1 this season. Um, I did dig to find some good here, but I found one. When Matthew Stafford was healthy, I thought he, Kenny Galladay, On Johnson, and Daryl Bevel really gelled. They really, really gelled. In those eight games, Matthew Stafford 
had 19 touchdowns, five interceptions, and five fumbles. You know, for years in this Jim Bob Cooter offense, we saw him hand the ball off and, you know, just throw short. Well, that is a limiting factor for a player who has one of the best arms in the NFL. And Kenny Galladay has really emerged, what, this is his second season, I yes. believe, has really emerged into a, a great player. Add Marvin Jones in that formula as well. And then I thought Kerryon Johnson looked a lot like DeMarco Murray when he was healthy. Um, and you have some pieces along the offensive line. So hopefully that whole unit, we didn't really get a sense of them. Again, that was just eight games this year. But hopefully they can stay healthy in 2020. It seems like fantasy players, us included, are going to be perpetually angry as long as Matt Patricia's around because they're never going to give Kerryon Johnson the ball as a full-time workhorse. Having said that, this team was well-coached, and remember, loads of fun to watch when Stafford yep. was healthy. Just getting Jim Bob Cooter out threw Matthew Stafford into top five in air yards per attempt. He was back to a guy going downfield, and then he became, went back to the guy who used to battle injuries all the time. And how serious that back injury is, because remember, like they said it was season-ending, and he still like tried to fight back from it. We don't know heading into next year, but I think it's enough that way they can build their offense off of young studs around him. The bad Matt Patricia is a noted defensive mind, rocket scientist, right? This is why he was brought in to the Lions, and that's always a troubling spot, right? When this coach is known for one thing, and then he's hired for that one thing, and in this case, a defense, that was one of the worst in the NFL. It finished 28th overall in defensive DVOA, mm-hmm. 29th against the pass. Jared Davis was absolutely awful at linebacker. Darius Slay had his worst season as a pro, other than Trey Flowers, who's a big, big free agent signing, a lot of money. Where is the pass rush coming from? This isn't a team that, like the Patriots, where you can manufacture disruption, that you can change what you're doing game to game to game. And I understand the Lions had a lot of defensive issues, and maybe their starters, and obviously their starters were a lot better than the backups, but the depth wasn't there. So I'm not sure right now what Matt Patricia plus Bob Quinn can be together, because I don't have a lot of optimism for this team heading into next season, despite what we just said about the offense. I would argue that they just built their defense like a lot of teams do, which is which is like not a positive, by the way. But uh, <laughs> they built a top heavy, and then once one guy goes down, you see their backup. And right. the Lions' backups are some of the worst in the league. And the fact is, they had like five or six injuries, particularly in their trenches. All year long, like Mike Daniels, Deshaun Hand, uh, Asan Robinson, those guys were literally never healthy, and so they were constantly bringing in backup run stuffers. Street free. So they failed from the very beginning. Yeah. yeah, and and who knows? That may not improve, but I would still say they're they have a middling defense when all are healthy. The thing is, no one's ever healthy in the NFL. Uh, two more divisions. Should we take a breath real quick? That was like a sprint we've been doing. I'm still good. All right. AFC South. We had, a, we had a little break. It's fine. I got meat in my belly now. We're good. AFC South, Indianapolis Colts finished 7 9. Daigle? Uh, let's take two minutes to speak about the good and the bad because I want to talk combined. about. Combined. I want to combine Jacoby Brissett. Oh, okay. Because I don't know what to do. I like it. Uh, we saw Jacoby Brissett start hot out the gates 14 touchdowns and a 64% completion rate before 
his ACL injury in first two games and, re- and first ten games. And remember, uh, the Colts were five and two to start the season. If you can, if you can believe that. Yeah. And but all seven of those games were one score contests. So we kind of figured, okay, they'll regress a little bit, but they regressed hard. Uh, and I think it was stemming from that ACL injury because afterwards, the final seven games of the year, Kobe Brissett only threw four touchdowns over the final seven games with three picks. Atrocious. A 56% completion rate. Uh, his cap number jumps from a reasonable $8 million this year to $21.5 next year, whereas it's $12.5 million of dead money. Hmm. So that's the thing. What do they do at quarterback? Because I understand they had to work under the gun. You had to get the guy to a two-year, $30 million extension. You know, your, your main guy retired out of nowhere. You have to do something. So what they did in the first eight games was reasonable expectations. But now you have to really think about it because over $20 million for Jacoby Brissett is something that, like, you, uh, you just have to take a step back and look. Well, right now his cap number is easily the highest on the team in 2020. He's at 21 and a half. Right after that is T.Y. Hilton at 14, Ryan Kelly at 10 million. Um, but he's not the only one. I mean, they gave Brian Hoyer $5 million for next year as well. So And Brian Hoyer was against the Dolphins. He was, was awful. bad in his one start. You, you mentioned the kind of dichotomy. See that word? Dichotomy. That's a good word. Of Jacoby Brissett in that first half of the season for the second half. I mean, our own Chris Sims uh, at the midseason point ranked Jacoby Brissett as the ninth best quarterback in the NFL. That was up from like 31st prior to the season. So jumping up all the way to a top 10 passer. And I think at times his play warranted it. Yep. Um, I mean, there were times when there was a free rusher on him and he evaded pressure and he worked down the sideline and threw it down the sideline to T.Y. Hilton. I just think this also speaks to how, mu- how important T.Y. Hilton is. There was a point where he was healthy this year, and then it vanished completely. Yep. But that's who Hilton it was, is. It was basically only his first three games where yeah. he went over 200 yards in two of three games. Yeah. Or over 100 yards in two and, of three And we've gotten this question on Twitter, at least I did this weekend, because, again, there was a point where I said, yeah, Jacoby Brissett is the quarterback that this team can win with. But that was probably around, what, week 10, week 12, something like that? And I think that was fair to say at that point. But then things change. We get more information. And I haven't gone back and reviewed his last two or three or four games, and I'm going to do that in the next few weeks. But it's certainly fair to question that now. But I think you can be smart about it, where you can keep on playing Jacoby Brissett, because $20 million isn't that much. Mm-hmm. It's like quarterback 14, quarterback 15 in salary, while still trying to improve that position with someone behind him, possibly. That might be the route that they go. Is that fair? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I also wonder if Frank I w- Reich... Maybe Nick Foles nah. comes back into the equation here. Oh, okay. I thought you meant Frank Reich. Like maybe he's. Sta- I was like, no, get get Frank Reich out of your mouth. He's still fine. No, he is. Like, I, I know it was a bad year, but let's. But maybe not, Nick Foles not comes back in the situation here. Okay, I'd I be fine that. with that. Yeah, a veteran like Nick Foles, that's actually very reasonable. Or in Chicago, as we talked about. Or with James Matt Winston. Nagy as well. Or James Winston. <laughs> Split him up into six pieces and just distribute. Just give him to everyone. He's must watch TV. Uh, speaking of Nick Foles, let's go on over to the Jacksonville Jaguars who finished six and ten this year. I actually didn't have any Nick Foles to say here, so I'm glad we got him out the way. Uh, because my good is who else? It is the combo, because I've refused to pick one, of Gardner Minshew to DJ Shark. Just to absolutely luck into a gunslinger, sixth-round rookie quarterback. Just luck box your way into it, because your veteran who you gave $100 million to happened to get injured in week one. And it's not good. It, 
whatever the case may be. Uh, and then to have DJ Shark come from nowhere, literally nowhere, and make me reevaluate my process in fantasy drafts to think, okay, uh, Deontay Johnson, Andy Isabella, these guys we know are going to play in three wide receiver slets, uh, sets, Darius Slayton, another one, that, okay, maybe they can emerge because they do have the talent to do so. That's what DJ Shark did. He only finished, quote-unquote, only finished with 824 yards because he got injured. But he had six more catches than D.D. Westbrook. And if I tell you he has six more catches, it's like, oh, just a few more yards, right? He had 300 more yards yeah. than D.D. Westbrook. He, I, I think he can be a focal point of NFL passing game. I agree. And quickly, with Gardner Minshew, I think there's a lot of similarities between Gardner Minshew's rookie year and Baker Mayfield's rookie year. And that might not be easy to say because Gardner Minshew was a day three selection and Baker Mayfield was the number one overall pick. But how they win and their style when they win, I think, is very similar. And there were plenty of weeks this season when Gardner Minshew outperformed Baker Mayfield, obviously, in year two. Just something to think about as we move forward. I would say there are enough still question marks about Gardner Minshew's game where I feel like we didn't have any question marks about Baker Mayfield after year one. Mm. And now we have all the question marks from Mm. Baker Mayfield. Uh, There's a lot of bad here. There is a lot of I'll bad. let you start. Uh, I don't even know. Okay, Everyone's I'll, back. I'll take. Everyone's back. Okay, you take that one. I'll take the other one. But you, you go ahead. Go ahead. Everyone's back. Dave Caldwell's back. Dave Caldwell's back. Doug Marone's back. The only one who is not back. I can't believe. I was on the news feed, and I was like, I cannot believe. So I, I, I texted with Eric Stoner and a few other um, Jaguars fans, and Stoner called this because, I mean, there was also a report like this weekend that Doug Marone has already been told he's not, which was just false. And once they missed out any coaching interviews on Monday, like their name wasn't mentioned at all, we should have assumed. Look, this is a team that thinks only one person is at fault for mistakes and then just believes if they get rid of that person, then everything can just be good. Like, you had Mike Malarkey. Then it was his fault. Blake Bortles. It was his fault. Then it was Tom Coughlin. Then it's his fault. Now, you have Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell, who now have to fix this team, despite not being able to do that in these past two seasons. At least, hopefully, without Tom Coughlin there, you have the identity shift. Because it seemed like since they went to the AFC title game, they're like, we can win like this every year. And that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable to have a historically good defense and run the football with Leonard Fournette. Now, I'm not even sure if Leonard Fournette's on this football team in 2020, Mm -hmm. and they have gotten rid of Jalen Ramsey. They have very good pass rushers, but Yannick Ngakwe is not under contract. So hopefully this is a totally different identity. But I think we come back here in a year, Daigle, and both Dave Codwell and Doug Marone are not employed by the Jaguars. I would say that's the likelier probability, actually. Yeah. Uh, you talked about that 10-1 season. That not only was it like was it just uh, out of nowhere, it was an anomaly. Uh, Dave Caldwell's wins and since he's became GM, 4, 3, 5, 3, 10, 5, and 6. Yeah. Just an anomaly is all it was. Uh, another bad, though, quickly, is Leonard Fournette and his contract. I think they'll try to get out of it. So there's double-edged sword here. If they don't get out of it, it's good news because Doug Marone's back and Leonard Fournette handled 23 touches, 22 touches a game, uh, played nearly every snap, and should have scored more touchdowns given expectations. Like, he should have given his touches. I, under, I know it was very bad play calling and it was poor on Leonard Fournette's part. But the thing is, the Jaguars scored their most points in a game and the one game they scratched him for. This past week against the Colts, the most they had ever scored. My boy, Devino Zigbo, a friend of the podcast, got some run. And Raquel Armstead, a rookie, yeah. in one single game, caught two, caught two touchdowns 
or scored two touchdowns, which were nearly as many as Fournette's three all year. Like, it's clear they don't need Fournette. So if he does come back, keep a mental note in your head, fantasy players. Draft him. If not, whatever. This might not be fair of me to say. I'm going to say it, though. I'm going to say something mean. Um, I'm not sure if it's Sean, Chad Khan's long-term goal to win right now. We can just leave that there. You don't have to what respond. What do you think it is? London? I responded. Okay, that's fair. I think it's London. Yeah. I mean, that was I my only I response. I don't so. think his goal is to win in Jacksonville right now. These decisions don't make any it's sense. It's not to help Tony out with AEW. Maybe he wants to make Cody Rose a champion. Dude, Tony Khan has five jobs. I mean, he is like director of football operations no. for Fulham. AEW, and now he's supposed to have a larger role with the Jaguars. Wild. (laughs) All right, Atlanta Falcons. Let's close out with NFC South. Finished 7-9 this season. Uh, The good. You still have a premier talent on both sides of the football. We all know about Julio Jones and just how ridiculous he's been for six consecutive seasons. Uh, He is the identity of that offense. Mm -hmm. I know it takes Matt Ryan throwing him the football, and you know you have good Calvin Ridley and Austin Hooper and some other players who have stepped up, but Julio Jones is that offense. But my boy Grady Jarrett doesn't get enough love as a premier defensive talent. He was great. Across the league. Other than Aaron Donald and Casey Hayward, Grady Jarrett graded as the third best interior defensive lineman across the NFL. He is the definition, I think he had eight sacks this year, but he's the definition of disruption as production because he is able to get into the backfield when everyone else along that defensive line is stuck at the line of scrimmage, forces someone off a spot, yet they still gain yards. If he had some help along that defensive line, that defense would be a lot better than it is now. Agree. It just, you harped on it all year, so maybe it won't go too much unnoticed, depending how heavy your voice rings throughout everyone's ears. But it will just go unnoticed most likely because the Falcons' defense beyond him was atrocious. Well, let's talk about that bad because this defense was created in the vision that Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. It's explosive. These are all the buzzwords that they use when they draft players. Explosive, aggressive, physical. Um, now, this team had injuries to fall back on in 2018 as a reason why the defense did not perform. What were the reasons this year? I mean, I understand that they played much better when it was rumored that Dan Quinn was going to be let go and Thomas Dimitrov was probably a package deal. Um, but now that didn't happen with how they finished the season. Again, they finished seven and nine. I, you have some free agents, and Vic Beasley, who has his moments. I think he finished with like ten sacks this year, mm-hmm. despite everyone hating him for some reason. Um, I, I just don't know. Again, these are the players that Dan Quinn wanted, and the defense performed like one of the worst units across the NFL at times this year. Well, it's it's Dan Quinn. That's oh. the thing. Like, the, and, and that's why they took play calling for, away from him at the end of the year. Uh, and it's funny because in fantasy circles, everyone talked about, oh, like they're not allowing running backs to catch the ball that much anymore. Well, yeah, because receivers are just like catching every ball thrown their way now because their defense uh, on the perimeter especially has just been miserable. I don't know what you do because the contracts you're wrapped up with, as you talked about, is a disaster. Yeah. Uh, it, it truly takes complete rebuild on that side of the ball, and that's not a luxury they can afford because Dan Quinn has one year left, and that's it. Like He needs to get it done this year. Tampa Bay Buccaneers finished 7-9 and nine this season. The good is so obvious. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are unquestionably the best wide receiver duo in the NFL. Mike Evans finished with 1,157 yards and eight touchdowns. Chris Godwin, 1,333 yards and nine touchdowns. Both can win at every single level of the football field. Both can win against any cornerback in the NFL. 
Having two talents like that at a position that, to me, is pivotal to winning football games. If you talk about passing, I understand that, like, you know, Super Bowl teams don't have this true number one wide receiver that they pay a lot of money to. Whatever. I will take Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on my team any day. And Bruce Arians and company are lucky that they have them on the Bucks. I hope people realize what they're seeing in Mike Evans. Like, they're truly watching one of the best receivers ever. Uh, six seasons. Six, wow. I'm, you're a fan. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm kind of biased also. But six seasons. Oh, yeah. A&M. No, no, no. But hold on. Hold on. Calm down. Calm down. Uh, six seasons now. 1,000 yards in each of those seasons. And he only played 13 games this year. Yeah. Like, that is so impressive. Like, Mike Evans, he was great in college. He's great in the NFL. I mean, what more do you want him to do? He's a true number one who doesn't get talked about much because the team just hasn't been good. Here's my question for the bad. Has the Jameis Winston situation become more clear? No. 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 I mean, he's the first 30 and 30, 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions quarterback in NFL history. Teams win. In such a sweet way, too. Teams win games 75% of the time that they win the turnover differential. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. How often does Jameis Winston put you in the positive side of that equation? I'm glad you're saying this because I was going to ask you to lament because I know you've been one of the biggest preachers on this on Twitter. And it's important. I agree. I, like, I agree. That undoubtedly, Jameis Winston is one of the most talented players in the NFL at his position. Y- you can have two or three or four straight drives, two or three or four straight throws where there is no window. Yet Jameis Winston unconsciously makes these ludicrous football throws into covered wide receivers, back to back to back to back, down the field, wherever else. Then you have like what we saw this year. What, three or four pick sixes on opening drives this season? (laughs) Yeah. On interceptions this season? So fun, though. You have how he ended the season with a pick six. He started his Bucks career with a pick six. He might end it, but he's not going to end it. Because there's enough positives there yeah. that a team can look at them and say, yes, this is a quarterback we can't let go, and he's going to get franchise or transition tagged. Great thrower, bad quarterback is how I like to phrase it. And also, little did we know, it should have summed up his NFL career as well, but winning the Heisman and then turning into a pumpkin his final two seasons at Florida State, that really should have summed up his NFL career. We should have. This known. season was very much like his final FSU season, where they would go down by 20, yet he would somehow be able to claw them and bring them back. He was great that junior year, yeah. Just and think he didn't have year. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, though. Like, I understand a lot of which these he, throws can be great. Which he didn't. Well, he his did. final two games. His final two games. Right. But a lot of the season, he did. Finally... If you are paying him or if you're advocating for Jameis Winston, you have to understand that this is just who he is. Like, there is no, well, what, he might not have these turnovers next year. The dude is always the potential and possibility to lead the league in interceptions. Weaknesses rarely turn into strengths. And this is Jameis. This is just who he is. That's why I think the Bears, I mean, every team makes sense. That's why I think the Bears kind of make sense because at least they have a good defense that can get the ball back. You see, the Bucks don't have that. John Diggle, matchmaker. It's only fitting if we close out the season with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, the Carolina course. Panthers finished 5-11 and 11 this year. The good is simple. Uh, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. 1,000-1,000 season, rushing and receiving. He joins Marshall Falk and Roger Craig as the only ones to ever do that. Uh, DJ Moore also took a nice second-year <laughs> leap, but Christian McCaffrey is the identity. He, he's the foundation of this offense. And the team still, after two years, has no clue what to do when he's not on the football field. It's just amazing that these guys get paid a lot of money to come up with these answers, and they haven't been able to do that. It was 
a struggle getting him there on uh, on Sunday on Week 17. Like, well, Kyle was didn't a, come in. He it wasn't was a disaster get it. watching. Yeah, Will Greer and Kyle Allen trying to get Christian McCaffrey the ball. Let's talk about the bad because there's a lot of it. Um, this really might be the least desirable job in the NFL right now. How so? Of the ones that are open. Uh, quarterback questions. You have no clue who's going to be the quarterback no starter clue. next year because of Cam Newton multiple injuries. I think he should be back, but I'm not the one making that decision. The core players are aging. Kwan Short is 30 years old. Luke Keekley 28 years old. Mario Addison, 32 years old. Greg Olson's going to retire. Um, they lack core offensive line pieces. And more than anything, this, you have to maybe work with Marty Herney. And there are need to be far more questions about Marty Herney because I talked about this with Steve Keim earlier in the show where I think really the only way you can gauge a general manager is based on the decisions that he like stands on the table for that. He makes a priority because so much of the draft is randomness. It, 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 it's a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. Okay. But when you look at what Marty Herney has done recently, he's been great in the first round. But Matt Paradis was a free agent bust. Don Terry Poe has probably been that last two years as well. He decided to bring back Darrell Williams as kind of a left tackle, kind of an interior piece, and he could have spent more money on a backup quarterback and said that was off major injury. Greg Little was a potential pick with his first round selection. Then he goes and trades for him in the second round, and he misses basically his entire season with concussions. Spent a top 100 selection on Will Greer rather than a potential player who might help the team immediately and then go back a couple years Rashawn Galton was a non-NFL caliber quarterback or cornerback and safety an athlete and he took him in the third round like all these decisions you can focus on like we did Ryan Pace and say yeah he went and did this he made these a focal point and basically all of them have failed and that's very concerning that's fair from a GM standpoint wouldn't Tepper though at least try to hand them endless resources like wouldn't he be interested in just pop, pop, just handing money over? I, I think David, I don't. That doesn't mean good decisions are made, no, but I think David Tepper is very good at talking right now. There just haven't been many. I think it's fair to wonder what actions come of it at this moment, football-wise. Mm-hmm. He brought an MLS team to Charlotte, whatever. He right. gets the city council and the city to give him a lot of money, sure. But right now, it's a lot of talk and not a lot of walk because like Marty Herney was fired previous to Dave Gettleman went and bought a radio station locally. No one wanted him on this team and run their team. And now he's back. And somehow despite a new owner, not named Jerry Richardson, he's gotten the good graces. And it seems like no matter what, he's still going to be the general manager of this team. Now they're going to add someone next to him and beside him and all that stuff. You had that in Brandon Bean. They should have just had Brandon Bean as a GM and not Marty Herney. Hear me out. What if they go out and sign Jameis Winston? <laughs> That's the perfect way to end this. <laughs> Just a question. Oh, Dago, that was perfect. All right, everyone. That does it for us. If you enjoyed this episode and us not breathing for about 47 minutes. That was a long one. Uh, be sure to leave us a rating review. Tell one friend. We'll be back later this week. We're not to, going away. To Just... preview the four first-round playoff action. Mm-hmm. Some great games. Uh, we'll be back again Thursday, Friday. Talk to you soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.